UX Podcast Episode 208. Hello, I'm James Roy Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbom. And this is UX Podcast. We're in Stockholm, Sweden, and you're listening in 184 countries, from Zambia to Portugal. Jessica Ivins, UX designer, speaker, teacher, and learner. She works at Center Center, the UX design school in Chattanooga, Tennessee, founded by Jared Spool and Leslie Jensen Inman. Jess is someone we've referenced in a number of shows. Um, and and we even featured one of her articles um, in episode 190. Right, and and the article we featured in that link show was how to maintain a professional network throughout your UX career. And that, together with uh, a number of articles Jessica has written, laid the seeds, which brings us to bringing her on the show for a chat today. And the topic will be getting your next UX job. I think all three of us um, get quite a lot of questions and um, and inquiries from people asking for tips about um, how they should get going in UX or get a job in UX um, or even get consulting gigs in UX. Um, what kind of what kind of questions do you get, Jessica? Yeah, so I get all sorts of questions about this, uh, particularly because. Uh, as you know, I'm an educator. I'm a faculty member at Center Center, the UX design school. And our goal is to prepare our students to be industry-ready UX designers and get them jobs at graduation. So this is very, very top of mind for me, like the whole job searching journey uh, from the very, very beginning to when you're actually in your new job. And one of the things I really enjoy talking about with people, and I've written about this before, is planning for your next job search well before you're actually searching for a job. So thinking ahead of time about how to put yourself out there, how to be known, how you want to be seen in the field, so that if, heaven forbid, you were to get laid off or lose your job, you've already done a lot of the legwork and people know who you are and it's much more easy for you at that point to get interviews and to get job leads than if you wait until you're ready to look for a job and then start from scratch. I really like that approach because it's so much easier to prepare when you, when you, when you don't have any pressure. Yeah, yeah. I like to compare it to saving for retirement. Because at least here in the United States, you know, I know you have listeners all over the world, but here in the United States, it's up to you for the most part to save money for your retirement so that when you stop working, you can still pay your bills. And, you know, you hear in America all the time, don't wait too long to save for retirement. Don't wait until you're getting close to retirement to save. Start saving early. And I like to apply that thinking to getting a job. So start putting yourself out there ahead of time. Start thinking about what type of job you would want next if you were to lose your job and you had to get a new job. And how do you present yourself as that type of designer to the industry? So, so basically, you've, you've, you've got to invest something every, every week or something in, in how you would maintain um, yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's really small investments. That's what I tell people. And it could be weekly. It could be biweekly. I recommend no less than biweekly 
because the things that you do regularly and the things that you schedule are the things that get done. So if you schedule something once a month, chances are you're just not going to get to it because if it's this once a month thing, it's you don't have a habit around it. But if you're doing it once a week, chances are you'll probably get to it once a week. And if you don't get to it every week, you're probably going to get to it every other week. And at that point, it'll get done. And it could be as simple as 20 minutes a week. Um, and it could be as complex as hours and hours every week. You know, there's no limit as to how much time and energy you want to put into it. I put a lot into it. Um, I'm also in a position where I don't have children and I don't have other any other sort of obligation outside of work that takes up my time. So I can put a lot of time into it. But you don't have to put a ton, ton of time into it. Like I wrote an article talking about everything that I do to put myself out there as a UX designer. And I said several times throughout the throughout the article, you know, you don't have to do everything that I do. You don't have to put hours, you know, I probably put at least three hours outside of uh, work time every week into building what I call my UX brand, but you don't have to do that. It could be something like 20 minutes a week, just really simple things to get yourself out there and to put in that legwork ahead of time. Something I've seen you doing, I think, is actually tweet uh, links to the same articles Mm -hmm. uh, over a period of time which to me seems like a hugely efficient way of doing it. You have these articles that are really good. We've featured some of them on the show before. And and just repurposing and reusing content is something that we've talked about in other contexts within the show as well. And thinking about doing that for yourself is just up, talk about saving time. <laughs> yeah, and that's a big social media marketing strategy. So uh, we're mm. small here at Center Center, so I chip mm. into all sorts of things, especially right now since we're in between student cohorts and we don't have students enrolled. I help out with things like social media. And social media marketers uh, will tell you that it's okay to take a resource that you want to share with your audience and share it multiple times and share it in different ways. So you might have a great UX article that you want to share and you can pull several different quotes from that article and then set up Mm. tweets to go out to that article. And you can even reuse some of the same tweets or LinkedIn posts after, I don't know so much about LinkedIn, but with Twitter, Twitter's so fleeting, you know, like people, even when they follow you, they're not going to see everything that you tweet. So if you tweet the same link two weeks later, chances are different people are going to see it. I once heard the analogy with Twitter that Twitter's like being on Twitter is like attending a cocktail party. Like there's a big room full of people. And at any given point, you're with one group of people hearing one conversation, but there are lots of conversations happening. So there's no way that just because you're in the room that you're going to hear all the conversations. So in that sense, I think it's okay to repeat yourself. And it's like you were saying, it's just a great uh, use of time and reuse of resources. I know that's something that... um uh, both Pepe and I have got a lot of um, thoughts about is is the whole thing with portfolios. Um, what what do you say to centre centre students um, when it comes to creating a portfolio as a UX designer? Great question. So along the lines of what we were just talking about, one of the things that we work on with our students is making sure that they get started on their portfolio right away. So we have a two-year program, as I mentioned. What we don't recommend, and what, and we actually designed the program so this doesn't happen, is we don't recommend that you wait until a year and a half into the program to start thinking about your portfolio. We teach our students to capture project work from the very beginning and create what some people call a project diary. So that as you go through projects, 
you are capturing the work that you're doing, you're taking screenshots of your designs, you're taking photos of you working with other people, you're taking photos of sticky notes on the wall, you are taking notes about the actual work that you've done, and you're capturing the actual work, and you're logging it as you go. And it's really easy to do that on a regular basis. It only takes a few minutes a day, right? And as long as you put it into some sort of trusted system, whether that's Dropbox or a Google Doc or however you choose to organize it, as long as it's in some sort of organized system where you can go back and find the material, you have all that material ready. So with our students over the course of two years, they have all this material saved up and they've taken notes so that when they go back and look at what they did a year and a half ago, they have all the materials in an organized system. They have notes about what they did so they can remember what they did. And they use all that raw material to craft their portfolio. And it makes the portfolio creation process so much easier because as you both probably know, the last thing you wanna do is sit down and try to remember something you did a year and a half ago so that you can put it in your portfolio. You're not going to remember most of what you did and you're going to have a really hard time struggling to find the materials that you need. I mean, that's, I, I think Jared's mentioned the, the, the kind of design log um, when we've talked to him previously. And I think it's a, it's mm-hmm. a really, good, really good idea because, I mean, I, 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 I don't generally like the idea of, of the kind of classic portfolio with lots of pretty pictures because we've, we've seen how the problem, uh, oh, the problem we have in the UX field is, you know, the, the, the final pretty design isn't really what we work with. Mm-hmm. But of course, it's been something that employees have, have, have looked for over the years. They're looking for graphic designers or that kind of graphical design aspect during interview processes mm-hmm. um, in many occasions. And, and that makes me scared of, of, a, of a classic portfolio. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, the portfolio, the stories in your portfolio are really about the journey that you took and how you went through the project and how you got over the hurdles of the project and how you produced the best design possible within the constraints that you have. And that's really a story. That's not the end result, right? That's not like, oh, here's a screenshot of what we launched. That's not really telling the hiring manager what you can do. Really, a hiring manager wants to see a story. They want to see what was the problem that you had to deal with in this in this uh, project. How did you and your team deal with this problem? What was your role on the team? How did you divvy up work? And how you know what was the context of your work? What did you do? And what problems did you hit? How did you overcome those problems? And what did you release as a result? And that's really the classic story. Like you can plot that into a story arc. And that's what we teach our students is because we as human beings are wired to hear stories. We don't like reading boring lists or, you know, think of like, I I joke with my students that you don't want to sound like Ben Stein reading his shopping list, right? You don't want to sound like this monotone. And then we did this and then we did this and then we did this because that's boring. Whether you're actually telling a hiring manager a story in an interview or you're writing a story for your portfolio, you want it to be engaging. You want to even get Hollywood about it. Be like, okay, you know, we thought we had it all figured out and then this happened. Then the deadline moved and we had a week less. (laughs) So this is what we did. And, and then, you know, somebody got sick and they were supposed to do the usability testing and then they got really sick and had to go into the hospital. So we had to scramble because we had participants coming in and here's how we pulled that off. Like hiring managers love that. First of all, you're, you're tapping into the human brain that loves story and you are showing evidence of what you can do to the hiring manager in a really engaging way excuse me, what you can do for the hiring manager in a really engaging way. I think this is a hugely important point because I, I was actually doing portfolio reviews at an event recently and 
it was a lot of pretty pictures. Mm -hmm. But I stood there talk. I stood there talking to them, and I was asking about the pictures, and I was hearing fantastic stories about how they came up with them and why. And this woman who had epilepsy, who had built an an app for for people with epilepsy, and it was hugely interesting. And, and I basically had one question for all of the people I talked to: Why didn't you put that story in your portfolio? Mm -hmm. And they were like. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't think about mm -hmm. that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the more people realize this, the more <laughs> happy they will be w with the jobs they get. Because, of course, the danger and huge risk here is that if you have a lot of beautiful pictures, this is what you'll get hired on and what you'll be expected to be performing mm -hmm. on. And not all the work and the storytelling mm -hmm. that was part of that project. Yeah, I remember there was a woman uh, who contacted me and asked to video chat with me for guidance on her portfolio. This was about a year ago. So I met with her and she, we went through her portfolio together and she had this portfolio piece about the wire, these wireframes that she had created. Now she was kind of a career shifter. She was doing some UX design at her job, but she was trying to move on to a full-time UX job. And I'm looking at that at her portfolio piece and she basically says here are the wireframes I created here are the tools that I used to create them and here's the project but that to me wasn't the interesting part when I asked her to tell me more about these wireframes she said you know we were sitting around in a meeting trying to figure out how to work on this design and nobody knew what to do so I stepped up and suggested that hey what why don't we make some wireframes I think this will help us and everybody was like okay let's go ahead and try that so she went ahead and made the wireframes show them to the team, got input, and then they agreed that they would move forward with part of her design, and it really kicked the project forward. And I told her, I'm like, that's the story that as a hiring manager that I want to hear, mm. that you stepped up, mm. you saw a problem, and you saw everybody else spinning wheels in a meeting not knowing what to do, and you suggested a tool, and that tool moved the project forward. That's way bigger than, hey, here's some wireframes I made. Maybe the fact that we say portfolio so much is in itself the problem mm. a part of the problem mm -hmm. i love i love the whole thing here now we're when we're talking about like career stories or, or project stories yeah that that kind of framing it as career stories um it feels much more um, exciting for me i kind of i'm getting interested just by hearing the the title rather than kind of um getting kind of worried about oh god i'm just going to see one-dimensional um mm -hmm. pictures in a, in a portfolio um and i'm thinking as well about how if you go into a an interview situation, um, re, you know, talking about these stories, it becomes so much easier perhaps when you've already prepared the stories. It's like having a half-ready script um, in your collection instead of just a flat picture. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We talk with our students all the time about having stories on the ready stories that you can tell at networking events about the work that you're producing, going back to what I was saying earlier and putting yourself out there as a designer, because human beings were wired to hear stories, like I said. So if you're at a UX networking event and people are saying, people ask you, what are you working on right now? If you have some really engaging stories that you've even practiced and rehearsed and that you can share, it'll come off really strong. So whether you're preparing for an interview or you're preparing to go out to a networking event, story is huge. And if you can tell a great story that shows evidence of the work you can do, it really makes you shine as a designer. How do you start building your network? Because that's a question I get a lot. So cause I know, because we have all these thoughts around, so keep uh, working on your social media presence, uh, keep being out there. But what if I don't have that many followers? What if I don't have that many people in my network? Where do I start and how do I approach people without coming across as too needy? 
Yeah, I think part of it is just one step at a time. Like we all had to start somewhere, right? Like I think I have about 7,500 followers on Twitter right now, which is a decent you know, amount of followers, but I had to start from zero and I didn't join Twitter until a little bit later than everybody else did. I think I joined in 2008 and everybody else had joined kind of late 2006, 2007, whenever it first started. So, I joined 2009, <laughs> so I was after you. I'm glad I beat you to it. Um, <laughs> so I think it's just really one step at a time. Also, some of the best guidance that I've heard about networking is going into it with the mindset of how can I help other people? So basically putting deposits into the bank account before you make a withdrawal. So you, you don't want to... What I don't recommend is going to a UX networking event and just start promoting yourself and talking about yourself and trying to get things from people right away. You want to kind of build that relationship first. So it, it could be as simple as introducing yourself and asking the person questions about them. Like, oh, so where do you work? Oh, okay, so you're a UX researcher at this company. Uh, what type of projects are you working on right now? And most people really enjoy talking about themselves and most people really appreciate it when you genuinely listen. So that's what I recommend is when you're building a network, it could just be one person at a time. Like you could set a goal like, okay, I'm going to this UX event tonight. My goal is to meet one person and have a meaningful conversation with them and listen to what they're working on. And if you do that, chances are that person's really going to appreciate you and remember you and maybe even help you later. That's really good advice because I think it's for some people just getting out there for the first time and seeing all these people around you that have these many followers and you think it's just too daunting of a task to, to get on with. But it is always for everyone one step at a time. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm. And I set okay. little goals. I even still do that today. Like... Um, uh, here in Chattanooga tomorrow, I'm probably going to go to a local technology event. And I usually set a goal to introduce myself to one person I don't know and just talk with them for a little while and ask them about themselves. And I usually try to get their card and send them a LinkedIn request afterwards. That's it's just like one simple goal. And that doesn't even take my whole night. Like I might be there for an hour and a half. It could take me 20 minutes to do that. And then I can spend the rest of the night doing whatever else I want because I, I met my goal. So what if you're, well, like now we're, you know, we're all quite um, active um, in social media um, and, well, and, and write articles and, and record podcasts. But um, what, if you're, what if you're someone who works like full time, you're really busy, you're kind of, you know, maybe you don't work in one of the bigger cities, so there's no, no kind of like tech meets or meetups or UX meetups. Um, you know, how, what, what can we say for those people mm -hmm. who, who aren't maybe as... Um, forward and as out there as, as, as many of the rest of us. Yeah, thank you for asking. I, I appreciate that question because as I mentioned earlier, you know, I don't have children and I don't have other obligations that keep me from going out and doing things, but you might have small children at home. You might have a health issue that, that keeps you from being, you know, as active and out, out and about as you would like, all sorts of things. So in that case, I just recommend low effort approaches to putting yourself out there. It could be as simple as keeping your social media accounts active. So setting a goal, like I mentioned, maybe 20 minutes a week, 30 minutes a week, putting time on your calendar to tweet, to read one article a week and make sure it's an interesting one, one that you agree with and set up some tweets to it and tweet a few times that week. Or it could be the same thing as the LinkedIn feed. I really appreciate the LinkedIn feed now. I think it, in a lot of ways, it's what Twitter used to be when Twitter was smaller and more focused, especially for the design community. So it could even be posting something on the LinkedIn feed, checking the LinkedIn feed, 
uh, if people share something interesting, thanking them for it, just liking and commenting on stuff. So that's stuff that doesn't take a lot of effort, but it still keeps you connected to the community and it helps keep you top of mind for, you know, other when it comes to other people in the industry who might end up helping you someday get your next job. Yeah, I, th I think mm. um, you're right about LinkedIn. That's, um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's difficult. I think it's difficult nowadays, uh, at least in the, the countries that we operate mainly in. It's difficult to maybe to avoid LinkedIn nowadays, um, and and I think low effort wise, you probably could get away with just maybe liking someone's um, someone else's post um, as a, as a kind of really really low barrier and you know point of entry. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I think uh, you two had talked. So I know you two had reviewed one of my links on a link show about, or one of my blog posts on a link show maybe six months or a year ago. And you talked about uh, one of the things that I thought that I really appreciated that you took away from that article was the value of saying thank you. So thanking people in the industry mm -hmm. for writing this great blog post or thanking people in the industry for sharing this great idea. And that's another simple thing you can do as well. If somebody shares something really insightful on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever it is, just a simple thank you can really go a long way. It's, it, it, people really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, they do. I know that um, uh, Anna Dahlstrom, who's one of our co-hosts now on UX Podcast, she's, um, she's writing a book or in the last phases of writing her book. And, and she shared this, this week um, how someone had just written to us saying, thank you for even you know, writing this book. It's not ready yet, but thank you for putting the effort in to, to do it. And she, she got a really big lift you know, at this final stage now, this last last few weeks, she got a really big plus a boost from someone just taking the time to reach out and say, thank you even for even trying to do this. I'm really looking forward to it being done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, and I, I get that sometimes. I really appreciate it. Just a simple thank you, a comment on one of my blog posts or something. It, it goes a long way. Our friend Chris, Christopher McCann actually posted on LinkedIn the other day a quote uh, that was along the lines of making someone else look good does not make you look worse. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that captures it, uh, the essence of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And another thing I recommend to people, too, is if you can, um, you, there's a difference between flattering someone and then giving them valuable, grateful input on their work. So... Like, if you just wanted to flatter somebody, you could be like, this is an awesome article, Jess. Like, if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, thanks, you know, and I might, I might make me feel good. But it doesn't tell me, like, why you think the article was awesome. But what I really appreciate is if somebody comments on my blog post and they say, you know, thank you, Jessica, this is a great article. It helped me realize that I can do more ahead of time to plan for my next job. I hadn't thought of that. So I really appreciate you sharing this. Thank you. And what that does for me is it, first of all, I mean, it makes me feel good, but more importantly, it actually gives me feedback on what's working well about my blog post. Like I've gotten comments like that before. And then I think, okay, great. My blog post is working because the goal of the post was to encourage people to invest ahead of time in finding their next UX job instead of waiting until they get laid mm -hmm. off or fired. So now you're not only giving me, you're not only making me feel good, but you're actually giving me really valuable feedback on why my post was helpful to you. So that's a huge thing. Again, on top of saying thank you, like give them input that they can use to keep improving what they share. Yeah, and that also makes me pair think about when you've you've encouraged me or us during the years when we've been to conferences. Um, that whole thing about reflecting and saying, "What did I get out of this? What did I learn from it?" Mm -hmm. And and just just by taking the time to to think, reflect, and and note it down, increases the chance that there'll be some positive action that comes from it later in the uh, later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. 
One thing I, th I think a lot about when I get all these questions around how do I find my next dream job as a UXer is that I've been in this business for a long time and I've been a freelancer and I, I'm usually not in the situation myself where I actually have to apply for a job. I'm thinking maybe my my advice is not the best advice anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, also, I'm thinking it. I don't even know how I would apply for a job today. And I'm thinking the older I get, the more difficult it will be for me to find a job. So do you have any thoughts on being a senior uh, job searcher within the field of UX? Yeah. Um, so I had a revelation not too long ago. Um, a few weeks ago, I spoke with somebody I used to work with who is in a situation where he's in between jobs and he's having more trouble finding work than I would have thought. I was actually really surprised because this person's very senior. He's a fairly well-known name in the field. He's written a book. He has consulted before. He's a very respectable person and he's having he's having trouble finding work. And I said, I mean, not a ton of trouble. I know he's going to find something. But when I was talking with him, I was really surprised that it was taking him longer to find stuff. And he was getting, uh, he would interview for a job and then the company would decline to move on because they'd say, oh, you know, you don't have the right experience for us. And what I realized is that he, he's so senior and almost so specialized that he's almost kind of created this niche for himself and that he really has to find the right fit. Uh, for what he does because what he did five years ago he hasn't done it in five years so he he doesn't have a lot of recent right. experience with it and that was huge for me it was a huge light bulb moment because I just kind of assumed for a long time that well I work at Center Center a very highly regarded educational institution in UX Jared Spool is my boss I mean he's one of the most highly regarded mm. people in the industry who wouldn't want to hire me I could work wherever I want <laughs> you know like I, I used to think that and then I had this conversation you know and I know that sounds a little hubrisy but I had my moments where I was like yeah I'm gonna be fine and then I talked with this friend of mine and I said oh maybe it's gonna be harder for me than I thought so it was just very humbling and again, it just reinforces for me, it reinforces everything that I'm doing and like putting myself out there about the designer I am and the designer I want to be so that people know who I am. And I'm more likely to find a job that's a good fit for me because more people know who I am and know what I know what I do. I think, I mean, this is something I've thought about too with um, uh, when you're confronted by the the question about tools. Um, I mean, I... I I don't I don't use sketch. I don't I don't um, mm -hmm. create high fidelity wireframes all over the place. And and something which you see coming up is kind of oh well, you know, we need you to use sketch for this project or this thing because um, the process demands that. Um how how do you, how do you recommend that someone deals with with that tool question because you feel I mean you have got lots of skills and a whole toolbox full of abilities to mm -hmm. mediate a good design. But how do you navigate that question? I'm so glad you asked this because I love this question. And my answer to this mm -hmm. question is focus on getting good at learning new things rather than focusing on what tool you need to know. Because the tools are always going to change and you're always going to be learning new tools. Sketch is the really popular tool right now. A year, two years from now, it might be something else and you're going to have to learn that. So that's been a huge thing for me. I actually learned that from Chris Risden. He teaches a lot of prototyping workshops. At least he used to. I don't know if he does anymore. And people used to ask him all the time during the workshop, 
what prototyping tool should I learn right now? And his response always was, try to focus on getting good at learning prototyping tools rather than focusing on the tool you need right now because whatever tool you're using right now is probably going to change. So um, that's what I recommend to people. And I, I just love the idea of focusing on the skill of learning. Learning is a is a skill. It's like, it's a muscle you can build, like going to the gym to build your biceps. Like you can focus on how you learn and build up your learning skills so that the next time you need to learn something, you can do it quickly and effectively. And then you can get up to speed and working on what you need to do. I love the idea of, of yeah, of, of working out your, your, your muscles, your learning muscles. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's something that a lot of folks like myself included really, um, until shortly before I got this job, I hadn't really thought about it either. Like learning how to learn, treating learning as a skill that you can grow, just like prototyping as a skill, just like user research as a skill, learning as a skill, you know, and, and learning, it's so contextual. Learning a tool is different from learning how to facilitate a user interview, right? There's so many different ways that you can learn based on what you need to do. And I think the more uh, present you are with your learning and the more thoughtful and the more reflective you are, you talked about reflection earlier, we're huge we're huge on reflecting is like looking back on what you did and thinking about what you did effectively and what you could do differently again. If you do that with your learning, it's, it's going to set you apart as a designer. It's going to equip you to continue moving through your career. I think being curious, I, I once told myself, my younger self, that I need to stay curious throughout my life or otherwise I'll become uh, a very sad person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, my my boss has a saying where I'm probably going to butcher it, but she says, um, you know, learning is so critical to life that once you feel like you've stopped learning, then you might as well be dead because learning is mm-hmm. just part of yeah. living. Yeah, um, exactly. and I love that. Yeah, no, it's, not, it's not, if you've reached that destination where everything's learned and you're confident that everything you know is the final answer, then yeah, that, that, that sounds quite, sad (laughs) yeah it does it sounds really boring and underwhelming if you ask me (laughs) Mm. well thank you very very much for joining us jessica oh you're welcome thank you so much for having me it was a real treat to be here thank you so much i think this 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 thing about kind of pension saving or investing in your in in keeping track of what you've you've done and achieved it's it's a really important point and i mean i know me and you i mean i haven't updated my my um, list of of projects on my website now for it must be half a year because i can't remember last time i did it Mm. and and i they're really really short the kind of descriptions of what i've worked with because when I do get around to doing it, it's usually long after the the event and I can't remember the details or it feels like I can't get sign off from the customer to talk about various things and so on. But the the idea of kind of journaling or keeping some kind of like design diary, I really, really like. And I like the idea of that you would maybe just note down something a few, you know, a few times a week at the end of the day. Mm. Um yeah something maybe you know what 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 did i learn today what did mm. what what challenged me today what did i achieve today so so that you build up that collection she's talking about that you can then easily pull on to create stories yes that whole idea of of making taking small steps and doing the small things that create a big impact uh i mean there's this quote at my gym that i love that the best exercise is the exercise that gets done 
because it really doesn't matter if you're not doing any exercise, uh, th- th- then it won't happen. But if you're doing just tiny things, I think everyone will be surprised by how much that, of an impact that will have uh, mm-hmm. because it's so much more than nothing. Uh, so just that idea, and I love that metaphor as well of, of investing in your future as a, investing in your pension. Uh, mm-hmm. So just start doing it is, is sort of my message to the listeners is to, and strategize it. If it's only ten minutes per week, you can make those ten minutes count a lot. Yeah. I mean, I suppose mm. it's also almost like doing a research project on yourself. Mm. Like you're kind of just reflecting back on, you know, what what have I do- what am I doing with my work? Yeah. Um, so you can keep a little bit of track of it, so that when the time comes, you can build it into something coherent. Mm. And reusing content because I I think one of the posts that Jessica has is uh, lots of lots of useful links and articles to things that other people have written. So that's an example of what she's doing. She's promoting others, but she's also promoting herself in the sense that she's showing and guiding other people to find all that great stuff. Yeah, I mean that mm. we see time and time mm. again. That um, and I know I know it's also something I mean you've talked about mm. that um, of, of sharing your research. Mm. I mean if you if you've spent you know, X amount of hours trying to work out, um, you know, how to go about a certain thing or how to solve a certain thing. Um, just put it out there. I yeah. mean, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a, a, a 2000 word formal medium post. Um, I mean, it could be as simple as, as that you, you just share the links on, on LinkedIn one after the other um, that you found useful for achieving something. Um, you might not even have to say why you just could you allow a conversation to appear or someone might say thank you it's a really good read then you can reply and say yeah this really helped me achieve x yeah so you you you're creating you're sharing um plus you you're networking and you're creating a conversation that helps you maybe even remember why a te- why something was useful and maybe why a technique was useful mm. um and perhaps getting your next job exactly <laughs> I mean, that, that, I mean, there were so many fantastic tips from Jessica. It's just like a checklist of, of stuff that you really need to be doing. Uh, do the small stuff and uh, make sure that you keep learning how to learn as well, uh, which I really loved, that concept. And I think as well that what she's, uh, the things that she's saying or said to us, I think you can look at it from, you, you can use what she's saying no matter whether you're um, in education, about to get your first job, you're in a job looking for a new job or if like me and you we're we're self-employed mm. and um maybe well always looking for help for clients for new clients and new yeah. work to do yeah it was hugely relevant for everyone really yeah and speaking of links the links related to this episode are on uxpodcast.com and we also send them out as part of our backstage email, which you can sign up to at uxpodcast.com slash backstage. And we also, Per and I, are going to be at two conferences um, this spring. And we're going to be going to From Business to Buttons and UXLX. Um, and I think right now, there's not a huge amount of tickets left for either of them. That's true. They've, they've, I think they both said they're into their last kind of like, 60 yeah. tickets or something so if you want to come along, come along and say hello then you better be quick they might even all be gone by the time you hear this <laughs> <laughs> and, but failing that if you want um, some um, uh, suggestion of listening to do next then 
we recommend episode 190, which is a leaked show featuring an article by Jessica, and also episode 118, um, which was inclusive design um, with Sarah Lurian. Um, and there we also mention oh, yeah. Jessica in, in that um, podcast. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Knock. Who's there? Goliath. Goliath who? Goliath down, thou looketh tired. <laughs>